Amen. Amen. You know, that's, that, that's where it starts. Uh, that, that's how it begins. Uh, that's how God is, does immeasurably more when you and I actually lay me down. Uh, we lay ourselves down. We get out of the king's way and we let the king be the king. That's what gets it going. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, Maple Grove, are, are, are you ready for chapter 15 uh, of the story? <laughs> Can you believe that we're almost halfway through this journey in God's Word? You know, to me, it's kind of like one of those deals where it seems like we just started this thing, but at the same time, it seems like we've been talking about it for a really long time. In January, we started in Genesis at the very beginning, and, and we, saw, we saw God speak absolutely everything into existence. Billions of galaxies, trillions of stars, mountains, oceans, rivers, forests, plants, animals, fish, birds. And, and then on, on day six, uh, we saw God create something in a completely different way, and not merely by speaking words. In Genesis 2-7, we read, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. In the beginning, God created man and woman. He created, created them in his own image so that they could have an up-close, personal, and intimate relationship with him. But before they even got out of chapter 3 of Genesis, man and woman, they sin, they disobey God, they eat the forbidden fruit, and in so doing, they're kicked out of the garden. Yeah, it didn't take them long to screw up, did it? Been there, done that. How about you? But God, as he always does, he, he responds to their rebellion with grace. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, grace, I mean, in the very same chapter of the story that records man's fall, we see God, the sovereign king of the universe, announcing the coming of Christ, Genesis 3, verse 16, and we see him beginning to unfold his ultimate plan of redemption that would come through his son and that would enable everybody to once again experience garden intimacy the way they were created to. And understand, a key component, an essential ingredient of that plan was to build the nation of Israel through an elderly couple named Abraham and Sarah, to build them into a great nation that would possess a great land and that would become a great blessing to all the nations of the earth as they lived out and reflected God's glory. And in building this nation, God delivered them from a 400-year bondage, and in the desert on top of Mount Sinai, God gave them uh, the Ten Commandments, he, he gave them rules to live by. Hey, if you want to know how to live right with me, here you go. If you want to know how to live right with each other, here's how you do it. And then God enabled them under the leadership of Joshua to enter, conquer, and take possession of the promised land. And it's here that we begin to see God's extreme and unlimited patience. As Israel got stuck in a 300-year vicious cycle of serving God, of falling away, of suffering, of crying out to God for deliverance, of God delivering them, and hitting the restart button again and again and again. Well, eventually God gave them a king, and the first king saw he didn't turn out so good. Uh, the second king, David, despite his sin, was a man who was willing to repent and who always chased after God's heart. And then Solomon, Israel's third king, David's son, he takes the throne 
and, and starts out really good, writes three books of the Bible, a really wise guy, completes building the temple where God's presence is going to live, but towards the end of his life, he starts worshiping false gods and idols. And because of these sins, the nation was torn in two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, a time known as the divided kingdom, a time where many kings would rule, and most of them in the north and the south, most of them were pretty bad, and some worse than others. It was a time when false gods and idols were a national epidemic. Again, we're in chapter 15 of the story. And by the way, did... Who read chapter 15 in preparation for today? All right, good job. Okay, anybody reading the car going up here and almost get an accident? All right. <laughs> One more chapter. And, and uh, I, I want to let you know that, that you get a break next week. We're going we're to pause. For some reason, I didn't want to talk about the destruction of the northern kingdom on Mom's Day. All right, so, so you, you got a break. Get your mom some flowers and cards and get her some of that mystery chocolate that you don't know what's in it. What's in this one? Poke a hole in it. All right, but, but it's Mom's Day. We're going to take the week off. And, uh, but again, we're in chapter 15 of the story. It's called God's Messengers. I'm calling the conversation, How Long Will We Waver? And, and the key text is 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. It's found on page 204 of the story. And uh, if you're here for the first time, the story, it's a book we're journeying through. 31 chapters, 31 weeks, takes us from Genesis to Exodus. Amazon.com costs you about 10 bucks, all right? It's a great book. I think it's even cheaper for Kindle. But here's the key verse this morning. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And we're going to pray and you know, definitely open palms today, right? Because God's going to bring it, right? He's going to bring it. And, and if we want to accept it, we just pray with palms open to say, God, sometimes you say things we like, sometimes things we don't like. But if it's from you, we can trust it because our Father always knows what's best. So let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we sang about that we're here for you not here to be entertained, we're here for you, and that we want you to do a, a work in us from the inside out. And, and, and we sang, and we said, you know what? We want to lay me down. We want to lay ourselves down. We want to get out of the way. And so, God, I pray that we do that. And God, I pray that I hear this message, because I may need it more than anybody in this room. God, help us to see the things in our lives that we put before you. Help us to stop making excuses and accept where we really are and who we really are and what we're doing. And change us. And God, we know you're able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. And may you get glory in this place today. Amen. Hey, have you noticed that there seems to be increasingly more and more warning signs and labels everywhere? I mean, in our day, there are warning labels on just about everything. And, and this week, I, I went online and I Googled, you know, crazy warning signs and labels, right? And, and, and you know, those kind of labels you read, like, seriously, they really needed to put that on there for somebody? And, and here's the top 10. You, you may have others. If you do, email me some. I think these signs are fun. But here is the top 10, what I think, warning and labels and crazy signs out there. Here's number one. Uh, number 10, rather. Road sign. Caution. Water on road while raining. You're kidding me. Wow. Wouldn't figure that one out. Hey, coming to number nine on a lawnmower. When motor is running, <laughs> the blade is turning. Oh, okay. Uh, here's the next one, number eight. And, and remember, these are on there because someone actually did it. <laughs> Hair dryer. Do not use while in the shower. But yeah, I'm just rinsing my feet off and I'm in a hurry. <laughs> okay. 
This one too. Microwave, do not use for drying pets. No wonder little Fluffy's eyes popped out. <laughs> and number six, a thermometer. Do not use orally after using rectally. All right. We said rectally in church my first time, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, number five. Come to number five, a chainsaw. Do not attempt to stop the chainsaw with your hands. <laughs> okay. On the clothes iron. Do not iron clothes on body. Oh, I just, oh, there's just one, it's just this one spot. Okay, not going to work for you. On a Batman costume, warning, cape does not enable user to fly. I mean, come, everybody knows it's Superman that flies, it's not Batman. All right, here's one on a stroller. Warning, remove infant before folding stroller for storage. Good, I, that's a good heads up. I, I never would have thought of that one. All right, number one, I even got a picture of it. Here you go. Touching wires causes instant death. And if that doesn't get, if that doesn't get your attention, we're going to charge you 200 buck fine. <laughs> okay. There are just a lot of signs out there that don't seem to be necessary, but I, I guess they are, right? Um, but here's what we know. Uh, we know that there are certain times when we need to be warned that we're in a dangerous situation. Because ignoring warning signs can lead to some devastating consequences, like trying to stop a chainsaw with your, with your hands. And as we read the next several chapters in the story, we're going we're gonna to encounter God's warning signs, otherwise known as prophets. You see, the prophets were God's messengers who oftentimes warned the people of destruction that was coming, of devastation that was on its way if they didn't change and do something different. In fact, we read these words at the conclusion of, of the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and, it, you know, it's kind of like a summary statement. I mean, you're watching image after image of the screen of the destruction of the city and of Jerusalem, and then these words come up on the screen. And, and, the, Lord, and the Lord God of their father sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets. Still happens today, doesn't it? Until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, till there was no remedy. And listen, when it says that God rose up early, it's not mean that God set his alarm to get up at 435. No, it means that God, before the tragedy struck, before there was devastation, before the sin took root, before they felt the full weight of the consequences, God would speak and God would warn the people, look out. You need to make some changes and you need to make them now. I understand the prophets would occasionally predict a dramatic future event that had been revealed by God. You know, but as you read the prophets, they did a lot more than that, okay? But they would regularly give a message of warning from God to his people. Uh, men like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, would, would he, they'd hear from God and, and they would speak to the people on God's behalf and they would say, you, you need to turn things around. You can't keep going down this path if you don't make some changes. Let me tell you where all this is going to end up. Let me tell you what's going to become of this nation. Let me tell you what's going to become of your family. Let me tell you what's going to become of your life if you don't do some things differently. 
And this week we met one of those prophets in chapter 15 of the story, a, a guy named Elijah whose name means my God is Yahweh. Now, Elijah arrived on the scene about 900 years before Christ. And at the time, Israel, the northern kingdom, remember it's the Vita kingdom, was politically and economically prospering under the rule of King Ahab. Peace had been established with Judah in the south, and they had formed a, a very um, advantageous alliance with the Phoenicians on the coast who were the leaders in international trade at the time. Peace and prosperity. I mean, not bad things in and of themselves, but before we start a reelect Ahab campaign, four more years, four, let's do some more vetting, all right? You see, there's more to, to being a great leader than simply making us happy, bringing about peace, and filling our pocketbooks. In fact, the ultimate criteria of any leader is what does the leader, what does God say about them? After all, Daniel says, God's the one that rises up leaders, and God's the one that brings those leaders down. In 1 Kings chapter 16, we read this. Ahab ruled for 22 years, and we read that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, Phoenicians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. I understand his selection of a mate was not really good, very good. Jezebel was a terrible woman. I mean, she was so bad, her name has come down to us as a symbol of evil. If you go on dictionary.com, the second definition of Jezebel is a shameless, immoral woman. I even, I even Googled this week, okay, baby names. Anyone named their baby? I couldn't, Jezebel, it, maybe they did. I couldn't find one. You know, did anyone ever, like, let's name her little daughter Jezebel. Um, she was a jealous worshiper of Baal, and her one goal was she wanted to make the worship of her God the national religion. Baal was the God of fertility, the God of crops, and the God of rain. And Baal worship included human sacrifice and was usually accompanied by drunken orgies and all kinds of sexual perversion. And this is what made it so popular with the people. I mean, some would say, hey, I think I'm going to go up to the temple to have sex. I mean, I'm going to the temple to worship. Okay, it's what made it so popular with the people and so detestable to God. Now, the main objective, the main obstacle to Jezebel's plan was the prophets of God. So she started a bloody campaign and had a bunch of prophets murdered, forced many other into hiding. And then one day a guy named Elijah, my God is Yahweh, comes on the scene. And I picture him as William Wallace kind of guy. And you just know that Jezebel just had to hate to even hear his name mentioned. My queen, my queen, what is it? Um, I just want to let you know that my God is Yahweh is riding into town again. And this time he says that he has a message for us. Others are hiding, others are being killed, and Elijah steps in before the king. And he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Awesome, bold, direct, powerful. He's saying, Ahab, because you've encouraged the worship of this false god Baal, the god of rain, it's not going to rain here. There's not even going to be dew on the ground 
until I say so. And then you and the people will see just how weak and pathetic is this God they are giving their lives to. James talked about this in James 5, 17 when he once encouraged you and I to pray. Uh, Elijah was a man just like us, just like us, no different, no special merit badge he wore, no superpower ring, got my superpower ring on. He was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain for three and a half years. Prayer matters, and God moves when we pray. And, and on the two weeks from yesterday, we have our next before the throne. Well, we get the, hey, well, I, 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 I can pray just like Elijah prayed. And God will do the things he wants to do. Well, three years into the drought, Eli arranges a meeting with King Ahab. And the king is like, oh, there you are, you troublemaker. You just really screwed up our nation. It's all because of you. He replied, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Come on, let's do this. I'm calling you out. I'm calling the people out. I'm calling those prophets out. I mean, thousands of people you know, hundreds of false prophets, one Elijah. And you know what? I, I think when he entered the ring that day, and the, mute, the song they played was, here comes the boom, right? Because I'm about to bring the boom on the prophets of Baal. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets of Mount Carmel. Elijah went up before the people and said, and now we come to the, the first point in your notes, the choice. Again, picture the scene. Hundreds of false prophets, thousands of people. He looks at them. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Like I said, he's calling them out. He said, you've been taught that, that, that you're supposed to follow God, to walk in his ways, that, that you're not to have any other gods before you. And then this Jezebel lady comes on the scene, and she tells you, hey, it's okay to worship her gods. She's wrong. You're wrong. They're wrong. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Why? Because they wanted both. They wanted both. I mean, think about it. They really wanted God. They'd say, we want God. If they really wanted Baal, they'd say, we want Baal. They said nothing because they wanted both. And I think this is true for many of us. You see, it's not that we don't want God in our lives. I mean, who wouldn't want, you know, he's kind of good to have around if you need him, right? You get in a pinch, it's good to have someone that powerful on your side with grace and mercy, right? It's not that we don't want God in our lives. We just want God and something else. We want God to share his place of glory. We want God to share his throne, but listen, that's not how our God rolls. He, he's a jealous God. And he demands that we love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. He says, divided hearts need not apply. Divided allegiances need not apply. And listen, the truth is, whenever, whenever I try to choose both, My, my version of Baal and God 
whether I admit it, whether I accept it, whether I believe it or not, by that very act, I have chosen not to follow God. I'm not going to follow you, God. I'm not. I'm going to do what I want to do. Understand, God never left open the option to serve two masters. Get it? Good. Kind of went down tough, didn't it? I need some water with that one. <laughs> like, whoa. Good, but whoa. Carl Adelman writes, God's at War, a book that'll mess your life up. Well, actually straighten your life out. It's about the idols in your life. He writes this, God declines to sit atop an organizational flow chart. He is the organization. He's not interested in being president of the board. I, I left this out, this when you, when you type your own stuff. He's not interested in being president of the board. He is the board. And life doesn't work. You want to know why your life's not working? Why my life's not working? Life doesn't work until everyone else sitting around the boardroom of your heart is fired. He is God and there are no other applicants for the position. There are no partial gods, no honorary gods, no interim gods, no assistance to the regional gods. <laughs> Again, picture that powerful scene going down on Mount Carmel. How long will you waver? Picture, picture the powerful scene going down in this room right now, in, in this very room. I mean, can you feel it? Can you sense the power and potential of the moment? Especially now that we know that just saying nothing, keeping our mouth, I'm not going to answer, is no longer an option. I mean, God is looking at me and you today, and he's just saying, I've been beat up all week by this sermon. I got to get beat up twice today and got beat up in my closet this morning going over it. And God looks at you and me and says, how long will you waver between two options? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Yeah, I know it's difficult to see ourselves as idol worshipers. I mean, that's just an Old Testament issue, right? Those primitive people. Uh, but uh, I put together, nine, there's nine questions here that will pop up on the screen that will help us to both locate and reveal some of the potential areas in our lives that are problems, areas where we put other gods before our God, places we put our hope and sought life in rather than in God. Question number one, just help you figure this out. What disappoints you? What are you most disappointed with? Is it, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your financial status, maybe it's your sex life, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your marriage. What are you most disappointed with? Understand, whatever we're most disappointed with points to something that we put our hope in. You see, instead of putting our hope in God, we put our hope in, in this or in that. And, and when it doesn't work out, we live with disappointment and despair. Now, some disappointment, of course, it's normal. It's natural. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about this constant disappointment in our lives. What causes that? Erwin Lutzer said, have you ever thought that our disappointments are God's way of reminding us that there are idols in our lives that must be dealt with? Question number two, what do you complain about the most? What we complain about often and frequently has a way of revealing something that we put our hope in, something that is replace God in some way in our life. I mean, if we continually complain about money, if we continually complain about uh, our sex life uh, or about lack of respect at work, maybe it's because those things have become more important to us than God has. What we complain about reveals what matters to us. 
You see, our whining shows what has power over us. Number three, what do we sacrifice our time and our money for? That's how we know who our God is. I mean, do we sacrifice our time and our money for the Lord and for his church and for his mission? Or do we sacrifice our time and our money for, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a job, maybe it's your home, maybe it's your car, maybe it's a hobby. What do we sacrifice for? Remember, the Bible says that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, if I want to know what's really important to me, all I have to do is say, how do I spend my money and how am I spending my time? There's my heart. Number five, what do we worry about? Uh, what scares you? What, what do you think that if I lost this or if I lost that, if I lost this relation with that person, life wouldn't be worth living? I, I mean, what is it that wakes us up in the middle of the night and what is it that keeps us up in the first place? See, worry as a way of showing who or what we worship. And number six is kind of a big one. I think, where do you go when you hurt? When life is hard, where do you go to find comfort? Do we come home after a long day, open the refrigerator, and look for some comfort food? I mean, that's even what we call it, right? Instead of turning to God, we help ourselves feel better by eating or maybe drinking. Uh, maybe we get into a fight, uh, maybe you get in a fight with your spouse and you feel rejected. So where do you go for comfort? Do you enter the pagan temple of a pornographic website and, and try to find comfort there? Uh, where do you go for comfort? Uh, maybe we turn on the television after a hard day where, where life has just gone totally crappy and we flip through the channels and we, we just kind of want to go numb and not think about things. And listen, here's what I'm saying. Where we go for comfort reveals where we put our hope. It reveals, it's just this honest moment that shows me, you see, if I'm going to God with my problems and my hurt and my pain and my sorrow, or am I going to something else? And the bottom line is when we go to something or someone else other than God, first and primarily with the hurts and pain of our life, it has a way of revealing what has become an idol. Number seven, what makes you mad? Ticks you off, makes you angry? Maybe your team loses and ruins your whole week or month. <laughs> What's that tell you? What's that tell you? Or, or, or maybe somebody treats you with disrespect and it just makes you so angry. I mean, how can somebody you don't even know who cuts you off in traffic have so much power over me? Maybe it's because respect for other people has become a God from other people. Number eight, what, what brings you the most joy? What makes you laugh? And here's where it gets a little tricky because some of the things that give us joy, I mean, there's nothing wrong or evil about them. In fact, some of the things are, are gifts from God. They're God's gifts. He gave them to us. When it said, allowing those gifts to draw us to God, we allow them to become competitions with God. Instead of worshiping the giver, we worship the gift. So what are some things that make us happy? And instead of rejoicing the Lord with those things, maybe we allow those things to actually replace him. Last question, whose applause do we long for? Whose approval are we really living for? Maybe it's a boss or maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a parent or a friend. Whose applause or approval? Who do we need to hear say to us, you know what, you're really smart. You know what, you're really talented. You're really good at this. You're really beautiful. And whose applause we're living for tells a lot about the throne of our heart. I, I struggle with this one. I had the opportunity this past week to speak at Enjig for the National Prayer on luncheon. And this idol kept popping up in my life. 
I go, okay, why am I so anxious right now about this thing? And God said, well, because you're worried about you. <laughs> you're worried what they think about you. Will they be impressed with you? Will they, or are you going to like drop a bomb? You know, and, and I fought it and I fought it. I had people pray, you know, in elders prayer on Thursday. I said, guys, you got to pray for me, man. I just want to go and just do God's thing. And because you know what? Your people's applause, it never lasts, does it? Okay, it's good for the moment, but it doesn't carry me like God's approval does. And see, ultimate idols, anything or anyone other than God, anything or anyone other than God that takes the passion, the value, the hope, the glory, the commitment of our lives. You see, it's just, it's just a cheap substitute for God. You see, when we look to something or someone to do for us what only God can do for us and what God wants to do for us, it's an idol. So, it, are, are there any other idol worshipers in here just besides me? How long will you waver between two options? The Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. The challenge. Again, the stage is set for the greatest cage match in human history. Let's see whose God's the real deal. Uh, on one side of the cage, wearing black trunks are the 450 prophets of Baal. Woo-hoo. The other side, wearing white trunks, is Elijah. My God is Yahweh. And we read in 1 Kings chapter 18 that Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the, I'll prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I love this part. Then, 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 then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of my God and the God who answers by fire is God. All people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets, choose one of the bulls and pray first since there's so many. I'm going to let you guys go first. You know, you got to go first. You go first. You call the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us! They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, about six hours, Elijah said, I'm going to have me some fun. I'm going to taunt them. It's time to bring on the trash talk, all right? Hey, shout louder. Maybe, maybe, maybe your God has his hearing aid turned down. Uh, surely he's a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Maybe he's really thinking or busy. I think the Hebrew indicates maybe he's on the toilet, all right? Maybe he has the fan running. He's on the toilet. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's just asleep and you need to wake him up. So they shout it louder and slash themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Oh, what a tragic scene. As they, as they tried to get the attention of those false gods, 450 of them, that, that's twice as many of the people that are in here. I mean, can you just picture 450 of them? I mean, they're just slashing the wrist. Is that going to be enough for you, Baal? God, will this be enough? Answer us, Baal. Answer us. And we look at that, oh, that's, they're just silly. How primitive. Bleeding for their idols, but are we really that different? I mean, how many have bled for the, the idol, the God of alcohol or some substance, and they just cut themselves and nearly lose everything to worship that God? How many are bleeding for the God of, of sexual pleasure, cutting themselves, well, you, well, yeah, looking for hope? 
In the process, they lose their value, their self-worth, their purity, their marriage, their peace, their walk with God. Understand, we are still in a frantic frenzy. We're cutting ourselves to these gods. Money, will you satisfy me? Success, accomplishment, will you give me what I need? Will you give me hope? Applause, I need more applause and approval. And we dance and we shout and we cut and we bleed. And we learn this truth that false gods don't give, they take. They leave us empty. And we try to numb that emptiness with another false god. Why? Because just one false god, it's not going to do it. We need to ask ourselves the question, where have these gods and idols really taken us? Are, are they delivering what they promised? Can they, can they really save us? And after hours of this, Elijah said, it's my turn. And he fixed the Lord's altar. He set up 12 stones. He dug a trench. He said, I want you to wet that sucker down. They wet it down one time. He goes, do it again. Okay, do it again three times. And he pours so much water on it that everything is soaked and saturated. And the trench around the altar is totally full of water. The time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elias stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that, that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he's God, he's God. And once again, the story is as it always should be about the glory of our God, the consequences you see, there's consequences for not following God. And you read the story, the next verse, all those false prophets are slaughtered. And now this seems severe to us because we're not used to justice. Instead, we're more familiar with uh, suspended sentences, plea bargainings, and early paroles. But our God is a jealous God. He's a God of justice. He deals severely with sin. All rivals to God must be overthrown. And you know what? There, there is, many times, there is severity in love, right? A, a cancer surgeon may cut off an arm or a leg to save that patient, right? And God is cutting off something right now in order to save the entire nation. And you know, I, yeah, I doubt that our consequences will be that dramatic. But let's not fool ourselves and think there's not a price to be paid to not follow God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. to when we look for things to give us the breath of life rather than God, who can give us the breath of fullness of life. In Exodus chapter 20, God says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Money, success, give me what I need, applause. I need more applause and approval, please. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm successful. Pride the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, punishing children for the sin of their parents and the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Wait, God, I, hate, I don't hate you. I just kind of want you to kind of scoot over and share your throne a little bit. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So I ask again, 
any other idol worshipers out there besides me? You, you see, with us like there's like this, it's not so much the idol. It, it, it's, what, it's what the idol causes us to do. It, it, it's what the idol causes us to become or what the idol prevents us from becoming, from becoming everything that God wants us to be. Hey, is it really that big of a deal? Uh, I don't know, I, I'm going to read one verse from the final book of the Bible and uh, let me know what you think. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers. And he's not just talking about those who worship Baal. He's talking about us who worship applause and money and sex and pleasure and possessions. And all liars, their fate is a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It's a big deal. Big deal to God. In the end, right, it seems to be a big deal. And it's a big deal now. Because you know what? The things that we look to to give us life, they're just not doing it. They're not. They're not. We cut and we bleed and we think it's going to work and it works for a while, but it doesn't work. And God is there, says, I can give you all the life you need. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, life in all its fullness. See, it's a big deal now because we'll never get to be the people that God wants us to be, do the things that God wants us to do. You know, I'll never get to do that. I'll never get to be that if I keep having idols in my life, if I don't take it seriously enough to get rid of them. And you know what's helped me understanding and seeing life through the lens of idolatry is to understand that idolatry, it's not just offensive to God, it's hurtful to God. It hurts him because he loves us. And because he loves us, the Bible says he's a jealous God. He's jealous for our hearts. And the prophet Ezekiel says that when we choose an idol, it's like we're married to God and we cheat on him. At the end of chapter 15, the story, we, we read about a prophet named Hosea, and God tells him, I want you to go and, and, and to, to marry a prostitute named Gomer. And that's an odd request if you're a preacher, go marry a prostitute. And, and that seems strange enough, but he says, her name's Gomer. Now it's getting really weird, because the only Gomer I know was on Andy Griffin, right? <laughs> hey, go, are you sure it's Gomer? But it says in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Hosea 1 verse 2 says, go and marry a prostitute. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. I read that and go, wait, wait, turning, I'm not turning against you, God. I'm, I'm still for you. I, I just want this other thing too. So he goes and he finds a prostitute named Gomer and kind of bad part of town, the Red Lake District. He buys her from her pimp, takes her home, marries her. And life seems to be going okay. Things seem to be going good. It doesn't make sense to Hosea, but he goes, hey, God told me to do it. I'm just obeying God. Then one day he comes home and she's not there. And he looks, he can't find her. Maybe she's going back to her old life. And he's short of breath, a little panic, and he runs back to where he first found her. And there she is on the street corner. She has her arms around the neck of another man, and she's leading him into a house of prostitution. And he's devastated. God, what am I supposed to do now? I, I did what you told me to do. Now look what happened. What am I supposed to do, God? God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back. And I want you to buy her a second time. And I want you to show your love to her as you did before. Wait, wait, wait a second. Did you just? Yeah, I did. Why? 
Why, why, God, why do I have to do that? Because I want my people to know how much I love them. Hosea 3.1. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship money and possessions and accomplishments and their career and pleasure. We worship an even though God. I wrote 31 on my hand. Because you know what? I need an even though God. Yeah, we've offended God. We've hurt God by allowing other things and other people to become more important to us than he is. I push God down. I've turned against him. I've walked away from him. I've ignored him. I hurt him. I've broken his heart. And God looks at me and says, Steve, I still want you back. Steve, I still love you. Even though. Even though. And, and so the warning from the prophets is simply this. There is nothing and there's no one that is to sit on the throne of our heart other than God. Uh, there is nothing and there's... No one that is to sit on the throne of your heart other than God. We're going to say that together, and you're going to, we'll put the word my instead of our, okay? On three, we'll read it together. Substitute the pronoun for yourself. Make it personal. On three. Ready? We're going to do this good, right? Paul State, good. Visitors, we do this real well. Not really. Okay. One, two, three. There is nothing and there's no one that is to sit on the throne of my heart other than God. One more time. There is nothing and there's no one that is to sit on the throne of my heart other than God. In Maple Grove, here's the deal. Here's the deal, right? God's saying, how long will you waver between two options? If God is God, serve him, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. How long will you waver? How long will I waver between two options? If there's someone or something, and I just got to hold on the belief that I'm not the only idol worshiper in here, right? <laughs> if there's someone or something on the throne of your heart that you've asked God to share that throne with, repent. Repent. Lay it down. Throw it down. Do it today. Do it now. You can come home. That's how God does things. That's how God rolls. We're going to sing this song called Forever Rain. And, and about God raining at us. There's a line, and the reason I picked this song, there's a line in it that God just like beat me up with it. Because if you substitute an idol in it, it really is not a fun song to sing. There's a line in Forever Rain that says, My heart will always sing. What was that line again? Was my heart will, well, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus. My heart will sing no other name, money, money. My heart will sing no other name, sexual pleasure. It just, it's not that fun to sing. 
It's not that fun to sing. But when that, I, I've got to see, when you sing that, you kind of offended me. Because, yeah, your lips sang my name, but your heart isn't singing it. It's singing maybe applause. It's singing something else. You got your idol. I got mine. I'll worry about mine. You worry about yours right now, all right? And this could be a big moment for you, right? God can do a measurement where right now we can cast down our idols, empty ourselves of that junk, and be filled with God. And we're going to sing. And if you have a prayer need, come forward every week. The elders are off to the side and, and to pray with you now or after the service. And, and if you come up forward, don't worry about someone thinking you have idols. They have idols. And if they're judging you because you're up there, then they got the biggest idol of all. They got this huge plank in their eye. All right? Don't worry about them. If you need prayer after the service, they'll be here. But don't miss this moment to say, you know what, God? Yeah, I may have screwed up. Maybe to right this second. But right now, God, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus. Would you stand and pray with you? God, we love you so much. And I'm sorry I broke your heart so many times. I'm sorry I hurt you so many times. And that I value other things more than you. Thank you for being an even though God. And I declare, God, that I want you to forever reign on my heart and that my heart will sing no other name but Jesus. God, move in this place and God, and move in me. God, I need you. I need you where you belong so that my life can be as it should be about your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.